Amen. Let's look in the book of Amos, Amos chapter 3. That's one of those books you like reading all the time. Amos chapter 3. And I want to share a message entitled Two Legs and an Ear. Of Amos's prophecy in Amos chapter 3. You find Hosea, that'd be easy. It'll be Hosea, then Joel, then Amos. That's easy for you to find. Amos chapter 3. Verse 1, it says, Hear the word that the Lord has spoken against you, O children of Israel, against the whole family which I brought up from the land of Egypt, saying, You only have I known in all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all of your iniquities. Can two walk together except they be agreed? Will a lion roar in a forest when he hath no prey? Will a young lion cry out of his den? If he hath taken nothing, can a bird fall into a snare upon the earth where no gen is for him? Uh, shall one take up a snare from the earth and have taken nothing at all? Shall a trumpet be blown in the city and the people not be afraid? Shall there be evil in the city and the Lord hath not done it? Surely the Lord God will do nothing, but he revealeth his secrets unto his servants, the prophets." The lion hath roared, who will not fear? The Lord God hath spoken, who can but prophesy? Publish in the palaces of Ashdod and in the palaces of the land of Egypt and say, Assemble yourselves upon the mountains of Samaria and behold the great tumults in the midst thereof and the oppressed in the midst thereof, for they know not to do right, saith the Lord who store up violence and robbery in their palaces. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, an adversary there shall be even round about the land, and he shall bring down thy strength from thee, and thy palaces shall be spoiled. Thus saith the Lord, as the shepherd taketh out of the mouth of a lion two legs or a piece of an ear, so shall the children of Israel be taken out that dwell in Samaria in the corner of a bed and in Damascus in a couch. Let's pray. Father, thank you uh, for allowing us to be together this morning. Uh, Lord, it's a joy to be able to uh, have the word of God in front of us and be able to read it, uh, make some sound practical applications into our life. And uh, Lord, we're so thankful that uh, the grace of God is always sufficient to save our uh, precious soul. And I would pray, Lord, if there's someone here this morning who's never been saved and never been born again, uh, that they might experience the touch of God and the conviction of the Holy Spirit upon their heart. They would come and receive Christ as their Savior. Pray for every believer this morning that we might be challenged anew with the reality of what God can and will do in the life of a believer. And uh, so we ask for your blessing on the preaching of the Word of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Our text verse is verse 12. It says, Thus saith the Lord, as a shepherd taketh out of the mouth of a lion two legs, or a piece of an ear, so shall the children of Israel be taken out that dwell in Samaria in the corner of a bed, and in Damascus in a couch. The prophet Amos is a special prophet. I like him because... The Bible says in Amos 1.1 that he was a herdsman, and so that means he was a farmer. 
and uh, I like that. It reminds me of being a farmer. Um, I like uh, Peter because he was a fisherman, amen? So I like identifying with different people in the Bible. But Amos, what a special prophet of God. Uh, literally, Amos, uh, in chapter 3, chapter 4, and chapter 5, all three of those chapters begin with the words, hear this word. And so Amos is proclaiming and speaking out to the children of Israel what God wanted him to say and warning them. He literally was warning them that their country was in danger of being invaded and ruined. And because of that, great weeping and tumults would be through the land because of the adversary that would overrun the land and surround the land. And we know that it was, he was speaking in reference to the Assyrians and the Syrians would come down and break into the land and, and conquer Israel. And it's because of the fact of the sins of Israel. And uh, when sin is hoard, uh, uh, hoarded and uh, uh, indulged in, in the midst of a people, uh, all we can expect is that uh, there will be an adversary that will come down against us. And so Amos is, identifies here their relationship with God. He said, can two walk together except they be agreed? And Israel was not in agreement with what God had so proclaimed, what God had revealed. And as a result of it, Amos prophesies and says, there's a country that's going to come down and encompass you and ensnare you. That's why our text verse says, as a shepherd taketh out of the, mountain, of the mouth of a lion two legs and a piece of an ear. It would be as if a lion coming and attacking the flock of a shepherd and the shepherd would have to go and snatch that lamb or that sheep out of the mouth of the lion. And I believe the mouth of the lion, the, the, the pulling the two legs out, uh, represents for us a remnant in Israel. A small portion of the animal that was left was uh, the God, the shepherd would deliver and, and set a pull out of represents that God always has a remnant that trusts him. Israel has a problem and still has a problem today of rebelling against their God. But I believe there is a remnant in Israel that worship the true and living God. And I believe that we as believers in Christ are the remnant of, of those that are saved and can be a testimony in the world that we live in. You know, you take a look statistically at the world and see how many people in the world is actually born again and saved. It is a very small percentage of people that, according to the population that is in the world, that is saved. And so that would represent the shepherds snatching those out of the world and bringing them into the flock and uh, saving them. So the Assyrians come down against Israel. According to Proverbs 28, 15, says, As a roaring lion and a raging bear, so is a wicked ruler over the poor people. And it's a, it really is alarming to see how aggressive uh, the enemy becomes, how aggressive government becomes when they oppress the people. And they will not recognize and acknowledge the true and living God. It brings uh, horror and it bring, brings oppression. Uh, it brings death upon them. And so Jesus had prophesied, not only Amos speaking about it in the days of the Old Testament, a, uh, Syrians coming down against Israel, but Jesus prophesied of the days that when there would be oppression of Israel. 
in Luke chapter 19 and verse 43 says, For the day shall come upon thee that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee and compass thee round and keep thee in on every side. So basically what took place historically in Israel, uh, according to the book of Amos, Jesus prophesied was going to take uh, place in the future. And then the apostle Peter would write to warn believers, 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil is a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. And so here is the lion waiting to devour uh, the people of God. And uh, here, uh, I believe David would remember when he stood against Goliath that he would remind Goliath. He said, well, there came a lion and a bear and took the sheep out of the herd, out of the flock. And he said, I grabbed him by the beard and killed the bear and the lion. And he said, that's what I'm going to do to you, Goliath. And so there is this snatching out, if you will, of a life that is being destroyed by the enemy that comes and attacks. The problem is the people of Israel were lazy. It says here in our text that uh, so shall the children of Israel be taken out that dwell in Samaria in the corner of a bed and in Damascus in a couch. And so rather than being diligent, rather than being on guard, rather than taking a stand against the enemy, rather than acknowledging they were not right with God, they were laying in their beds and laying on their couches and ignoring what was taking place around them. The sad thing is too many Christians are in the same condition. We're just lazy. We don't want to search the scriptures. Uh, we don't want to testify to others. We don't want to live our Christian life. And as a result of it, we're getting overrun with iniquities. And uh, I believe with all my heart in that situation, there is still a shepherd that takes out of the mouth of the lion two legs and a piece of an ear. And so I want to look at a few things out of this verse. First off, I see this, that there's a shepherd who fights for us. It says, thus saith the Lord, as the shepherd taketh out of the mouth. And so there's a shepherd who fights for us. I'm glad that there is a Savior uh, who is concerned about us and who fights on stands on our behalf against the enemy. He fights for us because of the fact that he seeks the lost. You know, in Luke chapter 15 and verse 4, it says, The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Um, the sad thing is, is too much teaching that is going on in Christianity has to deal with feel-good subjects and uh, maybe making us multimillionaires and never getting sick and all these things. And we talk about all these different relationships and concepts of who Christ is, but the reality is, the bottom line is that Jesus Christ came into this world to find those that were lost and on their way to hell. And because he seeks the lost, then we know that man can be saved. You know, um, my wife and I used to sing a duet years ago. This was back when we were in Bible college. It was a song that was entitled, He Was Seeking for Me. And the song went, He was seeking for me, he was seeking for me. Though I knew him not, still he loved me and was seeking for me. And the amazing thing when we think about the shepherd, the shepherd, when one sheep is missing, 
He leaves the 99 behind to go find the one that was lost. The amazing thing here is that the shepherd is fighting against the lion that has taken one of his sheep because the shepherd is the one who is always fighting for his flock. And I want you to know this morning that God is always fighting for us. We are on the Lord's side, and because we're on the Lord's side, then we can experience victory and power over and over again. Uh, when you feel you're lost, you feel like you have no direction, you feel like you have no hope, remember this. There's a shepherd who's seeking you and looking for you. I see a second thing here is that he gives life to the sheep. He says the enemy is to come, what, to destroy and to take life away. He's a thief. But Jesus Christ said, I am come that you might have life and have life abundantly. This shepherd here, taking this sheep, the legs out of the mouth of the lion, his desire was that there might be life. And I believe that God captures us and snatches us out of the mouth of the jaws of the lion because he wants to give us life. I don't really, I really don't understand people who say they're Christians, but they don't like living the Christian life. I don't understand that because I know what it is to live apart from God. I know what it is to live a life that's a life of a reproach. I understand what it is to live a life that is oppressed. But I'm going to tell you one thing. When I got saved, God gave me life to never, listen, never do I have the desire to go back to my old life when I think of what I have in Christ Jesus. I'm thankful that I have life and it's an abundant life. It's a satisfying life. It's a fulfilled life. It's a powerful life. I mean, it's a new life. I'm going to tell you one thing right now. As being a Christian, you got it good. Amen. And so the shepherd is fighting for you. He snatches the legs out of the mouth of the lion. So he seeks for the lost. He gives life to the sheep, and then he rewards his people. You know, 1 Peter chapter 5 tells us that, that Jesus Christ is going to give us a crown when we get into his presence. I think of heaven. I just had to do a funeral this week, and I, every time I do, I think about heaven. I think about the streets of gold. I think about the gates of pearls. I think about the angels around the throne of God. I think about the presence of the eternal Son of God being there. I think of our loved ones. I think of the prophets. What, a, what an exciting thing when we get to heaven to be able to see Amos and talk to him. Amen. I mean to tell you that everything about the Christian life is not just new life and abundant life, but it's a future life that we're going to enjoy in heaven. And there is great rewards and great blessings that God has for us because the shepherd is fighting for our soul. He is defending us against the enemy. And that's the second point. The enemy is real. He says here, the shepherd pulleth, taketh out of the mouth of the lion. The enemy is real. Don't you think for one minute that you don't have an enemy this morning? Don't think for one minute uh, that the devil's not real. I, I read statistics oftentimes, and they say how many different people who say they're saved and are born again don't believe in the reality of the devil. Well, you know, the, the question is this. If there's no devil, then why, why are we so tempted to sin all the time? Why is it that we seem to be completely out of control in the flesh? The devil's always fighting against us, and he is a real because he steals the word of God from us. In Luke chapter 8, in verse, uh, four, uh, verse 12, Jesus is giving the parable of the sower, 
And he says, in reference to the seed that was fallen by the wayside, he says, those by the wayside are they that hear, then cometh the devil and taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. Uh, it's amazing to me how you can witness to somebody and see conviction on their face. Oh, how many times I've talked with folks and taken the word of God and you see them start to become teary-eyed because they're convicted about their soul and, and they won't get saved. And I can see the devil snatching the seed right out of their heart. And I'll say, well, I'll come back and see you and I'll leave and come back a few days later and they're stone cold. They don't want to hear anything about spiritual things. They don't care about where they're going to spend eternity. They don't care about what the word of God has to say. What happened? The enemy came is what happened. And he comes and snatches the word right out of you. And oftentimes we are in church, we're in Sunday school, we learn the word of God, and then all of a sudden we don't want anything to do with God. That, that's the devil attacking you. When, well, listen, when the devil starts whispering in your ear, you know what, that Bible, that's not true. You don't need to, you don't need to believe that preacher. Oh, don't, don't go forward when the invitation has come. Oh, no, don't, you don't need to believe. You're okay. You got your religion. You're a good person. You didn't murder anybody. You're, you're okay. Let me tell you, when that happens, you need to rebuke the devil and turn to Jesus Christ who's fighting for your soul. At that very moment, there's a battle that is raging, and it's a battle between that which is good and that which is wicked, and it's a battle between the eternal Son of God and the devil who wants to destroy everything about you, and he's trying to snatch the Word of God out of your heart. Remember that Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. That's why it's such a battle when it comes to the word of God. There's an enemy. He's real. And, you know, he is a destroyer of life. And uh, he wants to do whatever he can to destroy your life. You don't think he's a destroyer of life? Let's take a walk down the road where people are strung out on drugs. You don't think he destroys life? Why don't you sit down to somebody who's an, uh, uh, an addict that has holes all on, up and down their arm and all over their body because they have to shoot up because they're so drawn and uh, addicted to these drugs. And you just look at what their life is and they can't control, get control of their life. Why? Because the enemy's destroying their life. He's wiping their life out. You sit with me. I'll take you to some homes where the, where the where alcohol is there. And I, was, I, I, rem, I can remember, I'm thinking one family I talked to, this was several years ago, and I went in there. I mean, it was, the house was a state of poverty. The house was a place of filth and disarray. The children were going without, and, uh, but I'll guarantee, I'll guarantee you one thing, the booze bottles were sitting on the table. And you see the destruction, and you see the heartache, and you see, you see the abuse, and you see all that, where, well, where, where does that come from? Because there's an enemy. And if he can get you strung out on drugs, if he can get you strung out on alcohol, if he can get you strung out on smoking cigarettes, he can get you strung out on abusing your body, if he can get you strung out with, with anything that, that fleshly destroys your body, he'll do it because that's who he is. He's a destroyer of life. This animal in the mouth of the lion, the lion isn't there chewing on him saying, I just want to be a comfort to you today. 
He's destroying the life, but the shepherd comes and yanks the feet, two legs out of the mouth of the lion. The devil is real. The enemy is real. He steals the word of God out of your heart. He's the destroyer of life, and he's the accuser of the brethren. Revelation chapter 12, uh, 12 and verse 10 tells us that he's the accuser of the brethren. Job chapter 1, Satan comes before God in heaven, and God asks him, where have you been? He said, I've been going to and fro on the whole earth. People say, well, I don't believe the devil roams on the earth. Well, he testifies to it. The word of God testifies to it that he wanders on the earth, finding who he can devour, who he can destroy. He's the accuser of the brethren. I'll tell you, if he, can, if he can get you in a situation where he can compromise your life, he'll compromise you before God, before your family, before your neighbors, before your friends. He is accuser of the brethren. And so we need to let the shepherd snatch us out of the jaws of the lion who is our enemy. So I see a shepherd who fights. I see an enemy that's real. And number three, I see a life that is valuable. Because it says here, he took, he took him out. Oh, I guess I better get back to my text. The shepherd take it out of the mouth of a lion, two legs of life that is valuable. And I thought about that as I was looking at that. Here is this animal, this lamb that is being eaten by this lion. The, what I understand in the Hebrew when it says the two legs there, it's talking about the bottom shank of the leg. The top of the leg is where all the meat is and the muscle is, but on the bottom is just basically bone uh, covered with skin and some tendons in there. And uh, to look at it hanging out of the mouth of a lion is to look at it and think, well, that's not worthwhile trying to save. There isn't any meat left on those legs. That is not valuable, but the shepherd sees the value in what is left. And I believe with all my heart that represents the remnant of Israel, that which was left. And I believe it represents for us the remnant of those who believe on Jesus Christ, that which is left. God sees the value of your life. Your life is worth saving. You know, my dad, my mom prayed for my dad for 28 years for him to be saved. My dad never got saved for 28 years. And you know why? Every time you talk to him about the Lord, he would say, well, you know, I'm not good enough to be saved. I'm not worthy to be saved. He just, no one explained, nobody, he couldn't get him to comprehend and understand that is not about what you think you're worthy or not. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. And Jesus Christ laid down his life for us that we might be born again, that we might be delivered. And you can look at a life and say it's not worthless and it's not worth saving, but God is not slack concerning his promises as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish. And I want you to know this morning that every life that's represented in this room this morning, Jesus Christ died for you, and your life is valuable in the hands of God. I thought about the prodigal son. Luke chapter 15, you read of the prodigal son. He went and squandered all of his, his uh, inheritance on riotous living, it says. Uh, he went and squandered everything that he had to the point to where as a young 
man, Jewish man, he ends up wallowing in the pig pen, literally eating the corn husk that the pigs hadn't eaten. And you talk about being at the low point in your life. But he said, I'm going to go back to my father's house because the servants in my father's house has more than what I have. And I'll go back and confess that I sinned against God and sinned against my father. And he goes back. And when he comes and meets the father, the father says, bring forth the best robe and put it on him. I'm thankful this morning that God doesn't give us junk. God gives us the best. And when I'll tell you one thing, when you trust Christ as your Savior, your life is worth and valuable to be saved because of the fact that he clothes us he, in the robe of righteousness. I thought about the prodigal son. The father said, put a ring on his hand and put shoes on his feet. You know, the ring on his hand was a signet. It was a testimony. It was identity that he was a part of the Father's house. And I'm glad that we're stamped with the image of the eternal Son of God. When we get saved, our life is of value because of the fact it's based on the identity that we have in Jesus Christ. He says, and bring forth the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. I mean, he wanted to rejoice because that one was, his son was delivered. He said, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. No wonder there's joy in heaven over one sinner that repenteth. Why? Because life is valuable. And Jesus Christ looks at your life and he says, I don't care where you are who you are, what stage in life you are, whether you're young, whether you're old, whether you've been defiled, whether you've been corrupt, whatever your life is, at the point that you meet Jesus and the shepherd pulls you out of the mouth of the lion, your life is valuable in the hands of Almighty God. Almost didn't go into ministry because I have a tattoo on my arm. There's a bulldog on there. He doesn't look too sharp anymore. Kind of looks like I do, kind of droopy-eyed and everything. My wife showed me a picture of me when I was 32, when I graduated from Bible college. It was depressing. <laughs> I had black hair. I was thin. I, was, I looked like I had all kinds of life and vibrance. And I said, oh, my goodness gracious. Well, I almost didn't go into ministry because of the tattoo on my arm. I almost didn't go into ministry because of the fact I said I'm 28 years old, I'll be going to Bible college, I'll be 32 by the time I graduate out of Bible college. And I'm glad I got over that and realized that my life had value in the hands of God. And I'm gonna tell you the last 35 years of being a Christian has been exciting. I can think of people for the last 35 years I've led to Christ. I can think of situations where I've been able to help people. I'm just saying this, God is able to take a life that seems like it's nothing and it's not worth anything and put value to it because he pulls it out of the mouth of the lion. Life, your life is worth saving. I thought your families were saving. Your spouse, man, whoso findeth a wife findeth a good thing and obtaineth favor of the Lord. That's what it says in Proverbs 18, 22. Daniel's a little excited over here, amen. <laughs> Five days and counting, whatever, you know. <laughs> wife, 
ladies, your husband is precious to you. You need to realize this, that we are too fast to give up on our marriages because of problems. You know, my mom was told that she should divorce my dad. My mom was told over and over again, you need to get, her, get away from that man. My mom would tell people, she said, oh, first of all, I'm a Christian, and he's my husband. The Bible tells me I'm to stay with my husband. She, uh, then she would, they would get on her even more. And she said, no. She said, he is the father of my children, and my children need their father. And she said, I'm not going to divorce him. And she said, I'm praying for my husband to be saved. She was literally living out 1 Corinthians chapter 7, where Paul states in verse 13 and 14, that the home is sanctified by the believer that is in the home. And I think sometimes we're too quick to give up and run away when we need to pray through and get a hold of the throne of God that God can make changes in our family and our spouse. And so, uh, why? Because God is the one who sanctifies and God is the one who establishes, and I believe our families are worth saving. The, the, the biggest cultural problem in America over the last 30 years is the demise of the home. And, uh, and so it's worth, it's worth saving. Fight for your home. Fight for your wife. Fight for your children. No, children are a heritage of the Lord. Your children are worth fighting for. What does that mean? That means, uh, you know, be willing to be controversial. Be willing to say, all right, well, everybody else may be doing it, but, you know, you're my child. You're not going to do that. Everybody else may be going there, but you're my child, and I'm not letting you go there. Your children are worth fighting for. When the devil comes and tries to put the taste in their mouth to go after worldly things, <clears throat> you need to be the shepherd that grabs them out of the mouth of the lion to deliver them. I'll tell you one thing, when I, got, when I was 17 years old, a fellow told, told me, he was in my car, he said, let's get a six-pack of beer. And I said, no, I don't drink. He said, and I'll never forget his words. He said this to me, he said, Mike, one beer won't make a difference. And at that moment, there was a battle that I had to fight, and I lost it. Because I didn't fight the battle. And rather than following the instruction of my mother, I followed the example of my father and thus became an alcoholic. Your children are worth fighting for. Don't you let the devil get them. Don't you let culture rob them. Our children, they're being robbed of the innocence of a child constantly with all this social media and everything else that's going on. But it doesn't have to be so. You need to fight for your children need to fight for your home. Joshua 24, 15 says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You say, why should I serve the Lord? Because God saw your life and he snatched it out of the mouth of the lion and you have a life that is worth living. You have a family that's worth living. Your testimony is worth saving. 1 Corinthians 9, 27, Paul said, I buffet my body and bring this subjection lest when I preach to others, I myself also should be a castaway. Your testimony is worth saving. I, I've thought about this as I was putting this message. The Lord gave me this message about a week and a half ago. And I was putting this message together, and I came to this matter of the testimony. And I thought, I've been saved for 35 years. I've, I've been in ministry 
for 34, uh, 32 years or whatever it is. And I thought of how many people I've met and talked to, interacted with over the last 35 years. And I thought to myself, how horrible it would be for me to succumb to the temptation of the world and temptation of the devil to defile myself and ruin my testimony. You have a testimony that's powerful. You read the book of Acts. The apostle Paul, what did he do over and over again? He shared his testimony, how he met the Lord on the Damascus Road. You have a powerful testimony. It's different than mine. You've experienced different things that I've experienced. But the collective reality of what we are and who we are in Christ is worth living out and fighting for so that we might be the type of testimony to the lost that they'll come and receive Christ as their Savior. So I see there's a shepherd who fights for us. There's an enemy that's real. I see a life that is valuable. And here's the last thought. I see a conscience that is stirred. As the shepherd taketh out of the mouth of the lion two legs and a piece of an ear. Piece of an ear. I thought about the ear. You know, seven times in the book of Revelation, it says, He that hath an ear, let him hear. A conscience that's stirred. You know how our conscience is stirred? By listening to God. By hearing what the Lord has to say. Need to be ready to hear. 1 Samuel chapter 3 and verse 9, when Samuel heard the Lord speaking to him, didn't know what it was. He thought that Eli was calling him, and Eli said this, Therefore Eli said unto Samuel, Go lie down, and it shall be, if he call thee, that thou shalt say, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. Speak, Lord. When was the last time you cried out to God and said, Speak, Lord? When was the last time that you were willing just to be ready to hear what it is that God has? God speaks through his word. God speaks in a still small voice. Speak, Lord. Need to be ready to hear. Need to have an understanding heart. Solomon, as he became king of Israel, God said to ask him, I'll give you anything you want. In 1 Kings 3, 9, Solomon said this, Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people that I may discern between good and bad for who is able to judge this so great a people. Uh, God wants us literally to have an understanding heart on how to discern between good and evil. It's getting hard because everybody's trying to blend the issues. Things that used to be taboo, things that used to be clearly wicked and unacceptable, now are becoming mainstream in the body of Christ. You better have wisdom. You better have an understanding heart. You, may have, you need a conscience that's stirred by listening to what God says so you can understand what's right and what's wrong. Then a prepared home. We know Revelation chapter 1 and verse 3 says, blessed is he that readeth and heareth and keep uh, the things written in this book. And so we need to read, we need to hear, and we need to keep if we're going to be able to have a conscience that is stirred. C.S. Lewis said this, a man can no more diminish God's glory by refusing to worship him than a lunatic can put out the sun by scribbling the word darkness on the walls of his cell. 
I'm afraid too much today is trying to change the glory of God. We're trying to paint the image of God in light of our secular society. And we're just being like a lunatic that's trying to write darkness so you can eliminate the sun. And the reality is God is still magnificent. He is still almighty. He's still on the throne. He is still absolutely holy and righteous. And he, listen, you can do whatever you want to try to return, change the reality of who God is, but he still remains the same and he desires our worship and our praise. Anonymous speaker said this, Keep your head up. God gives the hardest battles to his strongest soldiers. I'm afraid too many times Christians nowadays are wanting to kind of cower into the corner. They want to be like Israelite, be in the bed and, in, and on the couch. Uh, we don't want to hold our heads up. You need, Christians need to stand up. They need to be bold for the Lord. I was listening to a preacher preaching a message the other day. And he was preaching on Christians. You can't, it was a title of the message, you can't keep a Christian down. <laughs> I was like, amen. And I was into him, he was, and he was a preaching, he was waxing elegant, man. And he was going on and on. Christian, a real Christian gets up, no matter how many times he's knocked down. A righteous man will fall seven times, but will rise up again. And Christians, I want you to know this, because we have a shepherd who is fighting for us, and we know that we have an enemy that is against us, then I have to face the reality that my life is worth something in Christ, and so I want to be stirred by Almighty God so that I'll keep getting up and worship Him and get up and serve Him and get up and live my life for the glory of God. The reality is in our text, two legs and an ear, we see number one, the shepherd's still on the throne. Jesus hasn't gone anywhere. He's still on the throne. He's still in control. He's still all-powerful. But we also know this. The enemy is still defeated. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. That's why we wanted to sing that song today, Faith is the Victory. And we, we live a victorious life even though the enemy is fighting against us because he's defeated. The devil comes after you. The devil starts tainting your thoughts. Remind the devil, you lost already. I rebuke you in the name of Jesus Christ. I'm pleading the blood of Christ. You're defeated foe. And so get out of here and leave me alone. Go bother somebody else. I remember Dr. Malone years ago. He said he was preaching. He was on his way somewhere to preach. He was driving uh, wherever it was he was going. He said, man, the devil just started hounding me. Devil started telling me how nobody's going to listen to what I have to say. No, devil started telling me how bad I am. Devil started doing all this. He said, I finally got so fed up with it. He said, I pulled my car off the side of the road. I got up and I walked around and opened up the passenger door and said, Devil, I've heard enough out of you. You can't do anything to me. Get out of my car and leave me alone. He said, I closed the door and drove down the road. He didn't bother me anymore. Sometimes you might have to just stop and open up the door of your car and get rid of him. You say, well, how can I do it? Because he's defeated. He's defeated. Realize this, your life for Christ is worth living. Young people, let me challenge you with this. You have your whole life in front of you. It's worth living for Christ. It is worth living. I think of myself, I didn't get saved until I was 27 years old. 
And I'm going to tell you, my brother, my youngest brother, he's 12 years younger than me. He got saved, I think, when he was eight years old. And I'm going to tell you this. His death, we both have gone to Bible college. We both have degrees. We both are in ministry. But I'm going to tell you, his depth of knowledge and understanding of the word of God outweighs me fourfold. Why? Because I'm playing catch-up. I'm trying to gain what was lost. Don't you walk out on God. Your life is valuable. God can use you to be the great one that stirs people's heart for Christ. Your life for Christ is worth living. Then the last thought is just this. Be stirred by listening to the voice of God. Whether it's God speaking to you through his word or through times of meditation and prayer where you experience the still small voice of God prodding your heart, God still speaks to us. I can't wait till Friday this week. We can have it in our men's prayer conference, and I want to challenge you men to come. I'm going to tell you, I'm ready. I'm ready to meet with God. I'm ready to hear something from God. And I'm going to tell you, it's going to be a powerful experience. Why? Because I'm going to tell you, the devil has been fighting for the last two weeks, three weeks. And especially this past week, I mean, the devil has opened up a full front attack on this preacher, our staff, this church, and our school. An all-out attack. But he's losing the battle. And I'm going to tell you something right now. I'm believing with all my heart. On Friday and Saturday, the glory of God's going to come down. I want to hear the still, small voice of God. Why? Because it stirs me. It excites me. It moves me to live my life. Two legs and an ear. Let's pray. My Father, I thank you so much. I thank you, Lord, for grace. I'm thankful for these young men that are getting baptized this morning. I'm thankful for faith that is not complicated, it's simple, because Christ did everything for us. All we have to do is have faith to believe. I pray if there's someone here this morning who's never been saved, I believe with all my heart this is the day of salvation for them. I pray as we sing our invitation song, they would come receive Christ as their Savior. I pray for every believer this morning that they would experience an anointing of God as they come and pray, as they read their word in their home, as they have their devotions, as they have their time of prayer and meditation. Oh God, come down and speak to them, I pray. We need you, Lord. We desperate, desperately need a move of God. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for giving us new life. Thank you, Lord, for giving us life that's worth living. Thank you, Lord, so much. Oh, God, thank you so much that we can hear from you still. Bless now in this invitation, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.